Church, you're in for a treat today. I've invited a friend of mine to come and speak to us uh, and bring a word from God. This man I've known for over 20 years. We go way back. He was a mentor to me and he taught me how to play the drums even when I was a kid. His name is Jeremy Yancey and he is the lead pastor of an awesome church in Texas called Timber Creek Church. It's a large and incredible church. Jeremy is a great leader and he's still someone who I look up to and call when I need advice or when I need guidance. In the same way that I trust him to speak into my life, I trust him to speak into your life. So he's gonna come now, he's gonna bring a word from God and I believe that it's going to be an incredible blessing to you. So let's put our hands together and give a warm Generation Church welcome to Pastor Jeremy Yancey. Come on, welcome him with me. Tell him that you love him. What's up guys? Hey everybody, I want to welcome you here to Generation Church. So glad that I get to be with you. I, I'm telling you, you guys are looking good. Those of you over in Ahwatukee, man, it's a little dark over there, but man, you guys are looking sharp too. A couple of you are saying, can he really see me? I don't know, maybe, maybe. I tell you what, I'd rather be in Generation Church than the best, biggest most state-of-the-art prison in Arizona, amen? So, so glad to be with you. Hey, listen, I hope, uh, before we jump in, I, I wanna, I just, I just hope you don't take for granted a couple of things. The first one is this. I, I hope that both locations, you don't, take, you don't take for granted the fact that a great church requires great leadership, and you have an incredible leadership team here, and Ryan and Amy and the whole staff. Aren't you thankful that the Lord's blessed you with a great team? Man, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Uh, but the, sec the second thing is this, and, and you know, what's happening at Generation Church, the kind of growth, it's not normal, it's not natural, and this is what you need to not take for granted. It's not the growth, it's the supernatural activity of God. Uh, you know, there's this, there's this partnership between uh, dirt and divine. You see Jesus spit in the, in the, in the dirt and make mud and, and, and blind eyes are open. And you see uh, a, a physical uh, uh, grave, but you see a divine resurrection. You see a womb, uh, but you see the conception of the Holy Spirit. You, you see this divine partnership where the disciples cast the nets, but God stirs the water. And so keep casting nets. Keep casting nets. God will continue to stir the water. We don't stir it. He does, but we're responsible to continue to cast the nets out there and see what God might do. So, hey, I'm ready to just jump right in. I want to introduce you to my, my, my wife and my kids and just, you know, let's be friends on Facebook and we can go that, that route because I don't have a lot of time. So I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 7. If you don't have uh, the Bible with you, you can uh, watch along on the screens there at both locations. Um, but I, I want to read you a story. Before we go into the story, before we dive in, I want to give you uh, kind of a, a drone shot or a backstage pass, if you will, to what we're going to, what we're going to talk about. And it's, it's 2 Kings chapter 7, and here's, here's kind of the lay of the land. The city of Samaria is under siege. It's been several months of warfare, and they are surrounded by the Arameans, part of the Syrian army. And it is, it's, it, it's, it's a terrible situation. But when you think of warfare and you think of some medieval movie you've seen, don't, don't think of the kind of warfare where the sky grows dark with a cloud of arrows descending upon the city or battering rams or, you know, fiery boulders flung by catapults. It's much more subtle, but it's just as severe. The Syrian army is starving Samaria to death. 
They've cut off the food and water supplies. All they have left is what they've already stored up in their storehouses inside the city walls, inside the fortified city. And now the grocery cupboards, the grocery aisles are empty. The cupboards are empty. It's a horrible, depraved situation. It's so, it's so gruesome that they're now cannibalizing themselves. In fact, the king has to settle a dispute between two, two moms that agree to kill their children to stay alive. And one mom kills their child and they eat and the other one hides their child. It's a, just like a nasty, horrible situation. And that's, it's at the entrance of this city. It's at the gate of this city where our story begins to unfold. So let's take a look. 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to start with verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, well, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, well, you guessed it, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and let's surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. That's like the most obvious scripture in all of the Old Testament. If they kill us, then we die. Yeah, thank you, Einstein. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. Now, when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel, he's got his allies. He's hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys and their Xboxes and they left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. Now, the men who had leprosy, they reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and they ate and drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. They didn't even know what they were. They were just things. They just thought, hey, this might be useful someday. Let's go hide it. Then they said to each other, guys, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. These lepers had stumbled upon some really, really good news. And the way they respond to that really, really good news reveals to us some lessons, several millennia old, that can be applied to our Monday through Saturday in 2018. We've got some really, really good news. What are we gonna do with it? Would you just take a moment in both locations, just bow your heads and let's pray. Father, many times in church we say, we invite you into this place. But actually, Lord, you, you are the host. We are the guest. You are inviting us in today. You've prepared a table. You've provided opportunity for us to hear and respond. May our ears be opened, our eyes be open, our hearts be full May, may we have the boldness and courage to live out what you challenge us with today. Whether we're a seasoned saint here, or maybe we're still kicking the tires on being a Christ follower, may all of us leave this place today saying, today I've heard from God. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen. 
Amen. So there were sores all over their bodies. Leprosy was a blood disease that would work its way from the inside out and would create these soft patches on skin and then would harden and create a a foul discharge. It was not only just foul, but incredibly contagious. Um, There was a stigma with lepers. There was laws against lepers. And these four men, probably the only thing they had in common was that they had contracted this horrific disease. Each one, no doubt, had to look at their family and say goodbye to their wife and struggle to get on a knee and look at their kids and say, Daddy can't stay at home anymore. And probably the only thing binding this misfit of of brothers together was the struggle they were going through. I mean, it was hell on earth inside the city already with people starving to death. How much worse for the outcast? And so they're pushed to the edge of civilization. They're, they're not allowed inside the city. They can't go out for fear of getting a, an arrow through the throat. And they eke away their existence at the city gate, just waiting to die or something to take place. These four lepers, you got one that's in a fetal position, kind of taking a nap. The other one is scratching something into the dust with a stick. You got one leper kind of just looking at the wall and pacing, and he's mumbling to himself. And if you listen close, he's, he's daydreaming about fast food, and he's humming. I'm loving it. He's wanting a fish filet sandwich so bad. I'd say McRib, but they were Jewish. The fourth guy, the fourth guy is is hanging out and he's pacing, the fourth leper, he's pacing and he's, he's trying to think this thing through and he, he says, guys, guys, come here, come here. Wakes the guy up, get up, Dale, get up, Dale. Keith, Tyler, come here. So they, they get together. That's how I view my, my unnamed uh, people in the Bible, you know. So, so he's like, come here, guys. Look, 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 look. We got no jobs. We got no food. We got no money. Our skin is falling off. We got issues. And we can stay here and we're going to die. We're going to go in there. They're going to kill us in there. We could go out and you know what? Maybe if we surrender, maybe they'll make us be some slaves at the side. I don't know what they'll do. Or maybe they'll kill us and get us out of their, our misery. But let's just not stay here. We can't just stay here. I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. So they talk to each other, they formulate a plan, they write a pros and cons list in the dirt, and they reach consensus, and he says, you guys in? They said, we're in. They go, oh, boom, 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 and a finger falls off. <laughs> Leprosy joke, sorry. Because you, <laughs> you heard about the leper hockey game, didn't you? Oh, man, face off in the corner? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's horrible. That's horrible, we're going to move on, we're going to move on. No more bad jokes. Okay, so, so they decide to gather up, and when the time is right, they begin to take the journey towards the enemy's camp several hundred yards away. And as they saunter slowly up the incline to the enemy's camp entrance, they get a little closer and a little closer, and they begin to see the smoke curls from the fires of the cooks, and they begin to smell something I don't even know what it is, but man, is it smelling delicious or what? 
You know, they were desperate, and it led them to action. And you know, for us, desperation leads us to action. It may be a good action. It may be a bad action. When people are desperate, they act. And so sometimes when people are financially desperate, they act. They say, we're going to get out of this hole. And they do a debt snowball, and they get out of debt. Or they act, and they just keep racking up credit cards. They open up other accounts because they don't know how to. It's already a deeper hole. I'm just not going to open up the mail when it gets here. I'm just going to keep going. People get relationally desperate, emotionally desperate. It can lead us to good actions. It can lead us to bad actions. Am I right? And these lepers, thankfully, they take the right action. There was a God moment stirring, stirring these guys because the Bible says the Lord had gone ahead of them. And it was the sound of chair. Can, can I tell you something? Your eight feet as four lepers don't make any sound. But when God makes one step, it's like the whole thing shakes. And all of a sudden, the enemy's camp gets fearful and they flee. They, they go roadrunner. Beep, beep, and they're gone. They leave everything. The horses, the tents, the, the, the donkeys, you name it. And so I can see, can you see it in your mind's eye? The four lepers kind of walking up, kind of kind of tiptoeing. They say, hey, hey, hey. It's just lepers here. We're unarmed. Please don't shoot. They get a little closer. A little closer. They get to the first tent, and they, uh, they draw open the, the closed tent flap, and they look in, and it's like a mix between K-Jewelers and Golden Corral. <laughs> and they're going, ah! And Dale's like, OMG! And they're like, shut up. You're going to get us killed out here, Dale. Okay, okay. They go to the next tent, same thing, next tent, same thing. And I mean, they are about ready to party. Like something you'd see out of a cartoon. These lepers get into that tent and they dive head first into the treasure. Like if you remember the old ducktails, like Scrooge McDuck just dives into the gold and, 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 and into the Golden Corral buffet. And I mean, they got turkey legs and pearl strings and rings and crowns. And Dale puts on a big purple gown. That he's like, don't judge me, I'll sell it on eBay. And I mean, they are having a party. I mean, these are southern lepers. It's fried chicken and it's purple whole peas and it's, it's gallons and gallons of sweet tea, none of that unsweet junk. And I mean, they are celebrating what they've found. Whoa. You know what? When you're desperate and it leads you to, to find Jesus, it's like you have found treasure. It's like you found the bread of life. That's who he is. And whoa, we celebrate. We celebrate what God did in our lives, through our lives, when, we, when we're desperate and it leads to the action of following him. And these lepers, I mean, they are celebrating. And they eat and they eat and they grab some, they, they grab some gold coins and they run over here and they dig a hole and they bury it. So that's for later. They come back and they eat and eat. But even even the starving, almost dead lepers, after, after a while, even those lepers get full. And one by one, they just can't pick up the fork anymore. And one by one, they push away from the table. Whew. They, they wish they could eat another, but they can't. They got mashed potatoes in their hair and gravy in their beard. And one of them says, guys, we got to think about this. We're not, doing, we're not doing right here. We got all this. The enemy's gone. We got 
old friends and family that need to know this. Now, they could have just kept it to themselves, but they said, if we keep this to ourselves, we're in trouble. Let's go. We got to go. We got to make the most of this opportunity. You know, when I think of how they responded to their city with the good news, I think of us today about enjoying a phenomenal church like Generation the worship and the teaching and the kids and all the places you can get involved on a team and, and, and all of the great things that are happening. But a tragedy would, would take place if we kept all this to ourselves. Like, like we have such good news that your circle of influence, your sphere of influence, your city, your community, your neighborhood across the lawn deserves you to take a moment today and just think about what we're doing with the good news. In the book of Proverbs, the author says it like this. Proverbs 3, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them when? Now. So the rest of the time we have today, I want to talk to you about what are some practical ways you can invite your city, your sphere of influence, your circle or your city to the celebration? How do we invite? And I don't mean just, just inviting someone to church. That's, that's part of it. But, but how, do you, how do you use the good news and talk about that to where it's not kooky and weird? Like there is a lot of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Christians. Like, 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 I want Generation Church to prove to the Arizona area, the Phoenix area, that like you can be like normal and be a Christian, okay? Because there's a whole lot of people that think when you become a Christ follower, you have to like take your brain and leave it at the door. That's just stupid. It's just dumb. We can be thinking, strong, spirit-filled people that are like not weird, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that is good. That is, that's good. That's good. Okay, all right, all right, all right. so, so, so. So how do we do this? And listen, if you're here, if you're, if you're here in Mesa or there in Ahwatukee and, and maybe you're still dipping your toe in the water, you're still trying to figure this thing out and, and, and you haven't really decided to let Jesus be the center or the savior of your life, you don't have to do anything that I'm saying today. But if you're, if you're in one of our locations and you're a Christ follower, you have no ability to opt out. It's, it's, we're obligated to do something with the good news. And so how do we start? Well, we start with number one. If you're taking notes, write it down. Start with the right mindset. As I said, um, we, we, we sometimes have an uphill battle when people from the outside are looking at the church and we've said things or, or we're, you know, we're screaming about certain things at the top of our thumbs on Facebook, you know. And so we have to start with the right mindset. And it's not that everybody's against us. In fact, write this down. Here's the right mindset. People want to be saved. People want to be saved. Now, now it, may be, it may be that they're still in their own salvation mode, like all of us, like where we try to be our own savior. We, we, we try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make our own decisions and what's right to us. That's the whole problem of the Old Testament and the children of Israel. In the book of Judges twice, they did what was right in their own eyes. They tried to become their own saviors. And we do that. People want to be saved, and so they'll do anything to save that marriage, or they'll do anything to do that, but they're looking maybe in the wrong place for a Savior. So people want, people want hope. People, we are hope traffickers. You've you got like a trench coat full of hope, you know? 
We are hope traffickers. People want to be saved. Let me ask you a true or false question. Put it up there on the screen, guys. Here it is. Every person I know would live a vastly better life if God's love, grace, and redemption were operating in their lives. True or false? Of course it's true. Of course. Like, like without God, there's a certain, there's, you, you can have a decent life, but every life would be vastly better if God's love and grace and kindness and redemption were operating and fully active. So you got to have the right mindset. People want to be saved. And if they knew the Jesus I know, he is worth knowing. So you got to go in with the right mindset. Ah, I don't want to scare people off. I don't want to talk to my Uncle Fred and scare him off from me. Your Uncle Fred is like, you know, a drunk degenerate, been stoned out of his skull for 15 years. And you, you, you're afraid to go tell him about, you know, the good news. He's off. You're not going to scare him off. He's off. <laughs> He's off. And you know what? Something I, I tell Timber Creek is, I don't want to go to heaven alone. I don't want to go to heaven alone. I don't want to celebrate the golden corral moments of my life by myself. I want to bring people to the table. So you got to have the right mindset. Number two, you got to sense the right moment. See, these lepers knew that even though they were full, even though they wanted to take a nap, they could not delay. They couldn't wait till tomorrow. Well, you know what? Tomorrow the conditions will be better. Let's go store some of this up. Let's, let's kind of pack this in. Let's, they said, no, 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 at once. Like we got to sense the right moment. Do you know when the church looks really, really good in the middle of a crisis? Most of the time, churches do really great in a crisis. With the hurricanes just uh, hitting uh, Houston last August and early September, our church being 80 miles north of Houston, we were uh, able to send, I mean, hundreds of our dream teamers and our volunteers. And, and man, they were just ready, lined up after a crisis. It's like, if I could get those suckers lined up for like just a Sunday to greet and be in the parking lot and working G kids, I mean, come on. But now a hurricane hits and they're like, oh God, I'm gonna do that. We're great in a crisis. Thank God an emergency room, an ER is good in a crisis. You come over, you know, you cut your hand off with the chainsaw. They're not like, well, here, fill this paperwork out and watch this movie. No, no, they're like, stat, go. We're good in a crisis. We can't afford to kind of be lazy in a crisis, can we? But here's what I want to say. You may want to write it down. Don't wait until a crisis hits to show who Jesus is to people. In fact, if we wait for the next crisis, we will miss the quiet crisis happening right now. And I mean, the hurricane was so big that we responded to, but there's, there's still a quiet crisis happening across picket fences and across cubicles and across our own dinner tables and our own living rooms. And we've got to be able to respond to the quiet crisis. We have to sense the right moment. And, and, and you know, sometimes I feel like people are a little intimidated to go talk about their faith. You know, I'm not asking anybody to grab a bullhorn and say, oh, get right or get left, turn or burn, everybody. Like, I'm not asking that. I'm just saying, hey, you know, like, look for the opportunity and take it. Have the right mindset. Look for the right moment and take the opportunity in the lifetime of that opportunity. But I think that many people don't do that because they're not perfect and they've got issues. And some people know, you know, at their work, if they were to talk about these things, they know that they, you know, you, you also blew up in that, in that 
boardroom a while back, or, or you've got a habit, or you, you, know, you can be a little, or you know, what, whatever. And, and can I just say something to you? Like, there's not a single, the stats are out. One out of every one person has issues. <laughs> and the stats are out. I like everyone, look at the person next to you at Awatuki right here and say, you got some dysfunction. Like you do. You're dysfunctional. I'm dysfunctional. We put the fun in dysfunctional. Jesus chose dysfunctional people to be his disciples. Why did he choose dysfunctional people? Because that's all he had to choose from. Okay. But we're waiting. We're waiting. For like, well, you know what? When I get my spiritual ducks in a row and I kind of, you know, make some time, then I'll, then I'll activate. Then I'll do it. But look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says in the Living Bible. I love it. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. It ain't going to ever be a perfect condition, sweetie. Like you, you're going to have issues, but God through us shines through beyond those things. You got to take a moment. When the moment arises. Now, I'm not saying go crouching tiger, hidden dragon in the break room. Greg is just getting a Snickers bar out of the vending machine and you like pop out like a King James ninja. <laughs> if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Like, no, stop. Thus saith the Lord. Just cut it out. Talk normal. But look for opportunities and look for the moments because I want to tell you the moments are now. The moments are now. Number three, share the right message. <laughs> so you can have the right mindset and you can have the right moment, but then the message gets all cattywampus. It gets a little confusing. And with everybody having a blog, everybody having a podcast and everybody having a Facebook page, everybody having a television show, you get a whole lot of confusion out there on what the right message is. And you may want to write this down. I can have the right mindset in the right moment, but share the wrong message. And the wrong message isn't, isn't God so mad at you. God's, God's got his arms, he's, he's tapping his foot. Like they're, 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 they're already beating themselves up. You, you, you think that that's anything new? People beating themselves up with the junk they've got in their lives? And then just to know that God's just waiting to pour out his vengeance upon thee. No, there's a, there's a, there's a better message. Now, I've, I've, I've failed in this before, where you got the right mindset, the right moment, but you share the wrong message. When I was a senior in high school, we were doing this drama, traveling youth group, doing a drama about like an outpouring of God. We were going to different churches. And it was just a season where drama was really cool, and we were having fun, and we would have these services, and I would preach at the end, and we would have an altar call time where we'd just pray and seek God. Man, a powerful time. And we were going from one church to the next on Sunday nights, and, and we, we were finishing up a service in Wichita, Kansas, and, and we were done. We struck the stage. It was almost midnight. I get in my car. I'm, I'm like pumped up. You ever, get in the, you ever get in your car after a church? Like, Man, that was just like, ah, oh, Jesus, I love you. I'm just going, you know, just... Just sing all the way home out of tune. I mean, that's just, that's me. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm driving home, about a 20-minute drive. And, and I realize I'm almost out of gas. Like, I'm going to break down on the side of the road without any gas. I'm on fumes. So I see a quick trip, which is God's gas station, by the way. I see, I see a quick trip up the road. And, and, and I, I pull in. As I'm pulling in to the heavenly gas station, I turn, I turn left. I didn't see her. There was a woman crossing the driveway. And I slammed on my brakes in my four-door Mercury Topaz. 
and, and, and I was so close, she slammed her hands down on the, on the hood. And she looked at me and I looked at her, I was like, she went, she said some nice things and told me I was number one. And, 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 uh, and she just went on. Well, I went to the gas pump and I, I started pumping the gas and I paid for the gas and I got in my car and turned my car back on. And as I'm getting ready to put it into drive, she's at my passenger window, the woman that I almost killed. And I just... And she goes, and so I put my, and I'm like, mm, like that, like that. I'm like a senior in high school, you know, I could take her, I could take her in a fight, but I was like, mm, like that. Hey, she goes, I need you. Can you give me a ride about seven blocks down to third street? Can you give me a ride? And I'm telling you guys, listen, I, I, like I, I felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, yeah, give her a ride. I don't recommend that for a lot of people, especially seniors in high school. Give her a ride. Tell her about me. You ever get into the middle of a story and you say, I don't know if I should be telling this story or not, <laughs> but, but we're going to tell it anyway, Awatuki, okay? We're going to tell it anyway. So, so I say, okay, and here's what I was going to say. I was going to say, yeah, get in the car. Um, I'll take you where you need to go if you let me talk to you about something. Because I want to just talk to her, you know? But what came out of my mouth was not that. What came out of my mouth was, hey, yeah, I'll give you a ride if you let me do something to you. <laughs> and she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I'm like, <laughs> here's what she did. She threw open the door and said, fine, and she got in. I kept my hands on 10 and 2. I took her where she needed to go. There was no doing anything to anyone. And I tried to tell her about Jesus. Tried to make up for it. I had the right mindset. I had the right moment. I had the wrong message. You got you, you to gotta know what you're going to say. You can't kind of be impromptu on these things. At least kind of have a little bit of a direction that you're going. And the Paul the Apostle in the book of Colossians chapter 4, he shows us how to talk. He says, hey, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Like, why in the world do Christ followers expect non-Christ followers to act like Christ followers? Like, they're not Christ followers. They're, Jesus isn't their saying. Why would they act like Jesus? Like, get off of it. Stop expecting them to act a certain way if they haven't surrendered to Christ. For heaven's sakes, there's a whole bunch of Christians that aren't acting like Christ. You gotta be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of indignation and wrath and anger. No, wait, that's not what it says. Full of grace. Look at that. Seasoned with salt. You know what seasoned with salt looks like? That's seasoned with salt. This is not, that's high blood pressure, okay? That's what that is. Seasoned, seasoned so that you may know how to answer everyone. Lots I could say, let's keep moving. Number four, select the right method that fits you. When David approached Goliath on the battlefield, he, he, he just couldn't wear Saul's armor. And I see a lot of Christ followers trying to wear Saul's armor when it comes to how they're living. 
Look, God's got something tailored to fit you, a method that works for you. You don't have to preach like Ryan. You don't have to lead like your small group leader. But there is a method that works, and it works for you. And, and I invite you to search that out, practice a little bit, the right method. And you know, for everybody, I think there's some easy, like it may not be Saul's armor, but it's super easy that everybody can wear. It's like a one-size-fits-all methods. And the first one is this, dinner with a sinner. Have a dinner with a sinner. Now, now, when you call for the invitation, you don't say, hey, I'm having dinners with sinners. Like, don't, don't, don't invite them. Like, would you like to come, sinner? No, 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 no. And they're like, John, I go to your church. I sit on the back row. Some of you are going to get a call this week. Would you like to come to dinner with me? <laughs> like, they think you're off. You don't have a dinner with a sinner where you set up your, your, your house and you make sure all the crosses are up in the foyer. Joshua 6, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They walk in, it's like, people need the Lord, playing in the background. You have unwrapped the toilet paper in the powder room and then added tracks to the toilet paper. You pull on the, pull on the toilet paper. Out. If you were to die tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? You pray over the meal and you say, oh, Lord, as we pray for thine bounty, we we pray the Romans road that all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Like, no, here's what you do. You say, hey, we're going to cook some steaks. You want to come over? And you flip some steaks. You cook some lasagna. And you talk about the cardinals. See how I did that? I could have said cowboys, but I said the cardinals. Who wants to talk about the cowboys anyway? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Well, that's the most rambunctious you got all day, Mesa. Talking about football. Anyway. So dinner with the sinner is just having conversation. It's just listening. It's not about pulling out that Bible verse at the right time. It's about listening to what's going on. And you're flipping steaks. And, and the guy next to you is just saying, yeah, golly, I'm just worried about it. I just wasn't expecting our kids to grow up so fast. And now we got college. And man, I'm, I'm just, I'm worried. I'm worried. And you know what you can say? You can say, man, I wish I could give you some of the peace that I have. I wish I could give you kind of some of the, the hope that I have, man, because it sounds like you need some peace and hope right now. Well, how do you, how'd you get that? How'd you get that hope? Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't earn it, and I didn't, like, build it up. When I started surrendering stuff to, to Jesus, like, um, in my faith walk, I believe he's a real person, real God that I can talk to. It just, it's amazing when I start, stop trying to hang on to everything and I started walking palms up and trusting, dude, it's crazy. How do you like your steak? How do you like your steak? Here's another one, the come and see. Don't just be an inviter to church. Be a bringer to church. Get bring invitations, not just invitations. Bring someone with you. We talk about it in Timber Creek. Bring Fran to church. Fran, F-R-A-N. Bring my grandma to church? No, bring Fran. F-R-A-N, friends, relatives, associates, neighbors. They're your sphere of influence. Bring Fran. Come and see. But you know the next one is this, the storyteller. And can I say, the truth is, there are many people in your walk of life that you can have a dinner with, that you might invite to church. And I'm gonna tell you, like that invite to church can be a simple text message that you could send before you leave today. Hey, I was thinking about you this morning, wondering if you and your kids would like to come to church with us sometime. Zero pressure. What do you think? Question mark. Wait. 
They send you a text back, ah, church isn't my thing. Your next text, okay, hey, we get it, no big deal. Have a great weekend, man. We'll see you tomorrow. Or they say, um, hey, you know what? Yeah, we've been thinking about trying church. Awesome. How about I get with you this week and we'll, we'll look at a time that works for your schedule. We'll go have dinner afterwards. Awesome, man. Thanks for thinking of us. Or you send it, hey, you want to go to church with me sometime? They say, uh, whose number is this? Who is this? That's when, that's when you text back, this is Jesus. <laughs> and then you send them another one. You say, I've been watching you. <laughs> and then you send them another one. See you soon. <laughs> but you know what your story is? You know what your story is? It's a one-minute statement. It's a one-minute statement that says, here's where I was. I began to follow Jesus. This is the difference he's made in my life. Listen to me. Here's where I was. I began to follow Jesus, like really follow him. It's, it's one about, I started going to church. It was that maybe I found him as I was going to church, but I, I started following Jesus, surrendering to him. I got off the throne of my own heart and I put him on my throne of my heart. And here's the difference he's made. That's your story. And he uses a story. And there's people like Carmen who work at the gas station right down the road where I went and got my five-hour energy and my Fiji water this morning. And I asked her, 100 yards down the road, hey, you know, I'm looking for a church. You know where Generation Church is? She goes, um, hmm, I don't know. I said, okay, okay. She goes, well, there is a church down here. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's what you're looking for. I said, okay, no big deal. I said, you go to church anywhere? Or, man, I, I used to. I got way out of the habit, and I work on Sundays, and just things have been a wreck. And Carmen may never darken the door of a church, but somebody can tell her the story. She deserves the story. And you know, when we feel intimidated, we're in good hands. The author that wrote more books of the New Testament, more books of the Bible than any other author, is Paul. And in 1 Corinthians, he says it like this. He says, you'll remember, friends, when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it what? Plain and simple. Jesus and who he is, Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this, and I felt totally inadequate. Anybody ever been there? I was scared to death if you want to know the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else, but the message came through anyway. And despite our dysfunctions, despite the lepers being the outcast, the city responded to them. Despite the lepers not having everything together, the city was hungry for good news. You have a city that is surrounded by darkness. You have neighborhoods with men and women who are smiling as they mow their lawn, but they're broken on the inside. And they deserve the good news. So what's the next step? We heard all that, but what's your next step? Let me offer you two and we'll close. The first one's this. I want everybody at Ahwatukee and right here at Mesa, would you embrace grander vision living? I mean, life is good but it can be great. It can be grander. Peter had fished all night with his crew. They come home with nothing, potentially bankrupt fishermen with empty nets. And if there's no fish, 
In, in, in the nets, it means there's no fish to take to market. If there's no market, there's no money. If there's no money, when Peter gets home to his wife, his wife ain't going to be happy. And when Peter's wife ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And he's, he's, he wants to just go home and, 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 and get into his little room because he's third shift. He's got the foil up on the windows and he just wants to sleep and try it again the next time. And here comes this teacher named Jesus. And there's this crowd and he's talking and he's, he gets on the boat. He said, hey, you know what? Can we, can we go out and launch out into the deep? And Peter amazingly doesn't say no. He was willing. He was obedient. He said, okay, because you say so. And he goes out into the deep and they let down the nets and they catch such a massive catch of fish that it almost sinks them. And I mean, the disciples, like their, 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 their eyes are like slot machine dollar signs. Woo! We're going to have a great time at market. He's going to bust open the door and say, baby, let's go to Macy's. And as they're pulling all the fish in, he's like, Jesus, I'm not worthy. And Jesus gets him right in the eyes and he says, it's pretty great, isn't it? A lot of fit. I, I hope it'll take care of you and your crew for a while. But listen, you think this is great? Follow me and I'll teach you how to catch people like this. And it was a grander vision than just the, the work week. Your work week is way more than a work week. It's a hungry city waiting for good news. I close with this little story. Junior in high school, went to a little private school called Christian Center Academy. My mom would pack me a gourmet lunch every day. A lunchable, grapes, <laughs> chili Fritos, but the, the, the cherry on top was the zebra cake, zebra cakes. When there was manna in the desert in the Old Testament, it was zebra cakes. And the cool thing about zebra cakes, it wasn't like those stupid oatmeal cream pies where you just get one. Zebra cakes, you got two. And I would finish off my lunch as a junior in high school there in the cafeteria. I'd nibble away at the zebra cake. Oh, goodness. But I had a friend, his name was, ah, well, we'll call him Dante because that was his name. That was his name. <laughs> Dante began to see my zebra cakes every single day. And at one point, he slid across the bench to me right, right next to me. Hey, what's up, JY? How you doing? I said, hey, Dante, nibbling at my zebra cake. And here's what he said to me. He, would, he said this phrase, and it became a common phrase between him and me. He said this phrase, Jeremy, don't hide it, divide it. Don't hide it, divide it. And I say, what? I see you got two zebra cakes. Don't hide it, divide it. And so begrudgingly, I'd give him a zebra cake. Here's my friend. But I, but I also, I also, for some reason, I think it maybe was just a little bit of God. Um, I realized that Dante, one of four kids with a single parent, eking away, he didn't, he didn't just mooch off me. There, there, there was nothing in his cupboards at home. That was a luxury for him. 
He was on scholarship at this private school. I went home and I told my mom about Dante and my mom started packing an extra package of zebra cakes and he'd slide across the bench every flipping day. <laughs> JY, you know what I'm about to say? I know what you're about to say, Dante. Let's say it together. Don't hide it, divide it. <laughs> I said, I actually got you a whole one. He's like, what? <laughs> You've got really, really good news. Generation, don't hide it, divide it. And the truth is, as we divide it, you will never run out the goodness of God, the bread of life is in vast supply. Don't keep it to yourself. Right there at Awatuki and here in Mesa, would you just take a moment, everybody in the room, nobody moving around, just close your eyes and bow your heads. This is a moment where we do business with God. This isn't business with, between you and me. I'm gonna be your tour guide, tour guide but, but this is... This is business with God moment. Maybe you're here and you hear this message and you're, on, you're not on the side of going and telling the city. Maybe you're sitting at the, the proverbial city gate and you feel hopeless. You feel like you've drifted. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're looking for a glimpse of hope. Can I say something to you? Jesus sees you right where you are. And maybe you've never invited him to guide you. Maybe you've never asked him to be the center of your life, the savior of your life. He can't just be a poker chip you pull out on Sunday. He's got to be the deal. He's, he is the Lord and Savior. But he leaves it in your hands to invite him to sit on the throne of your heart. And so maybe you've never invited him to be your savior or... You've done that before, but it's, it's been a while. You've drifted. But you say today, Jeremy, I, I want to make things right. I want to align my life with Jesus. I want to begin to follow in his conduct, his character, his convictions. I, I, I'm, I'm, man, I got a lot of stuff in my past, but I, I want to start somewhere. I want you to know he meets you right where you are, right in this moment. He had you in mind for this day, April 22nd. And so if you would like me to pray with you, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? With boldness, here's what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna embarrass you there in Awatuki right here, but you say, Jeremy, would you pray for me? Would you guide me in a prayer to say, Jesus, be the center and savior of my life? With boldness right now, just put a hand right up in the air. I need Jesus to be my savior, my guide. Yes, several hands here, there in Awatuki. Okay, just close your eyes, you can put your hands down. And here's what you'd say. You just kind of pray, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for showing me a pattern for living through your word. I make a terrible savior for myself. I can fix mistakes, but I can't fix my sin. And so I invite you to give me a fresh start. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for loving me so much, you would give me this moment to make things right with you. 
I give you my past, I give you my present, I give you my future. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. You are who you say you are. You are the Son of the living God, and I will follow you in Jesus' name. Eyes closed, heads still bowed, and maybe you're here and you're on the other side, and you need some boldness to share the good news. Maybe it's been a while since you've had just a a healthy spiritual conversation with someone, and you'd like me to pray that boldness would, 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 would kind of build up in you, that courage would, 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 would kind of uh, be a catalyst for you to, in kindness and in love and in grace, share the good news to those you come in contact with. If that's you in both locations, would you put a hand up? I, I want some boldness and courage today. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Yeah, absolutely. God, we thank you that you, you, you work with us in our imperfections. You're not mad at us. You, you love us so much. And so, God, we invite you to put in our pathways the Carmens, put in our pathways the sphere of influence, the opportunity to share the good news that, that, that there's plenty of you for everyone, that the enemy's defeated, and that they can walk in the goodness and the grace of God, that the hopelessness they feel does not have to last, but joy can come in the morning. And God, we thank you now for the stories that are going to be told, for the lives that are going to be changed, for the dinners that are going to take place, for the invitations that are going to be accepted. God, for, for the people that their spiritual landscape of their family and their community and their business and and, and their friends, it's going to change as we lean into you. And we ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Hey, would you put your hands together for those who made a decision to follow Christ? Would you stand with me at both locations? Hey, come on, let's sing this together.